0: Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 23, our discussion on the role patient advocates play in supporting all the various stakeholders in the Nash and NAFLD communities. This conversation starts with Jorn Schottenberg, talking about how Achim got him involved with dealing with politicians and the government in Germany, and how much Jorn has learned in the process about the complexities and challenges in getting support for fatty liver policies and funding. In response to a question that I ask, Andrew and Achim go on to talk about the similarities and differences between the legislative systems in the two countries and what that entails in terms of how to work an audience. Achim and Andrew each share a fascinating comment on the concept of how lobbying a public official works, different in some ways, quite similar in others. Enjoy. As you will hear, patient advocates have a different point of view, but they are truly interesting people who play a critical role in the fatty liver ecosphere. So sit back, listen, listen. Enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion.
1: Achim brings a lot of positive energy to the table. And I think that now that I know about his previous life, I know where in parts uh, it came from and where he trained it from. So it was actually the first time that I ever talked to a politician about liver disease after Achim somehow linked me. And uh, it might have been not directly, but it could have been indirectly. And actually, a healthcare politician from one of the major parties in Germany was all of a sudden interested in liver disease and he would listen to me. And that was for sure a groundbreaker from my side. So, albeit I might not have been too aware what uh, patient health Organizations were doing. You know, you'd think, okay, they helped the patient to find the right doctor or answer the questions what the doctor did or did not say and and why they were out of the room again after five minutes or something. No, I mean, the the whole concept of linking science and and knowledge to publicly available bodies, and in particular in Germany, um, politicians and and, um, policymakers, um, that was for me really the eye opening experience here. And and, and really, uh, thank you, uh, Achim. I think this was a special experience.
2: And that's really so true, though, is when you think about what we can do as advocacy organizations, it is all of those points. It's the connecting to clinicians. It is educating, raising awareness about NASH, but also patient empowerment and all, and other stakeholder empowerment as well. I mean, many times, you know, the point that you just mentioned about policymakers being surprised that they'd be interested in liver or being blown away by that, if we empower patients and help them understand that policymakers want want to hear from the liver advocacy community and they're willing to change or change policies that improve the lives of those impacted by liver disease. We just have to kind of get a seat at the table and that's where we can really help as advocacy organizations uh, through, through the empowerment of patients and other stakeholders.
0: So let me ask both of you a question about something I believe is the difference between the countries. I may be naive from either direction on this, but my sense is that the European countries that tend to organize in a more parliamentary or or kind of way, Germany less so than some, but still, you know, Jorn talked about someone in a politician who was interested in health policy. My sense is there, the parties designate people to own that portfolio. Whereas in the States, uh, my sense is it's kind of a free-for-all. People pick and choose their own issues. Parties don't tell, uh, don't particularly tell. I mean, you have the committee system to some degree, but beyond that. Advocacy is much more of a catch-as-catch-can kind of thing. Is that accurate or... And if no, what am I missing? And if yes, what challenges does that impose?
2: I mean, I'll say first from the state side, you're right, and also it's not exactly that way though. I mean, the committee aspect definitely guides policymakers in the issues they care about. You know, if they sit on energy and commerce committee in the House of Representatives and they're part of the health subcommittee, that will naturally guide them to care or prioritize health issues. But At the same time, legislators sometimes come into office with issues that they really care about. And that's where even if they're maybe not on the relevant committee, there are still opportunities there and ways to work with these offices and ways for them to champion liver health. I mean, there are the caucuses as well that sometimes get to these priorities that are not based on committees. And these are kind of loosely formed collaborative agreements between members of Congress into caucuses that prioritize a specific issue that present opportunities for legislators that are not on the committee that will would allow them to focus on that issue. So there's a few different angles. They're guided in certain ways. I don't think the party ever tells a legislator to focus on something, but the way the, the system is, they do end up kind of falling into categories.
3: Yeah, and thank you for this, Andrew. And I think so, Europe and Europe is special and different because of all the different countries and all the different healthcare systems, and but also legislative system. When it comes, let me focus on Europe. I think that is more interesting because it affects more countries than just my home country, as Jan you know, has mentioned. One of the examples, I think, one of the things really is um, it's a mixture of defining a long-term strategy, being loud, being noisy, as patient, so and use all opportunities to bring in. So, hey, here we have a problem. But on the other hand, the learning really is how to approach best to politicians is not to say, hey, we have a problem, but to go to him and say we have solutions and you are able to take care for the solutions. And within that bigger system, so you need to pick out this politician who is able to do a, a simple, tiny change and then see the advantage because he has invested his name, he has invested his time, his power. And I think that's the most promising way. And this is something so we need to analyze first before we start policy, really, okay, what can be changed on the legislative side, by whom, and how many Steps. It is needed from a person or a group of persons to change this. And then you need to go first to the low-hanging fruits so that politicians can really say, hey, I have taken over the issue of mesh, and I have just spoke to that person and now I'm uh, the, the big one who is in the spotlight of social media, etc. So this is an encouraging element to go to the next politician to say, hey, your colleague has done that and you can do that. And that is more a kind of defining the road. And I think the learning here really is that we from the patient and but also from a scientific committee, we had learned over years not to complain, but to work on solutions. And it's like a puzzle to set the right politician to the right piece of the puzzle and put that together and go a road along the years. That is how policy works. And maybe I'll give you a very funny story, we have in Brussels, the EU parliament, we have the so-called four elevator pitch. I don't know if you heard this. If you go to the entry of the Brussels parliament, so you have a big hall and the most planetary rooms are on the fourth floor, but we have just one track of elevators. There are eight elevators. And imagine this 700 politicians have to use those elevators. But also this 1,000 lobbyists are waiting for the right moment that in this elevator, your politician is jumping in. And then you have four floors time to convince your politician and to get his interest. I think one of the things that mostly works is really to be well-informed about private things of these politicians, and bring in small but fancy and remaining aspect. You tell them in this elevator, so means you have ten to fifteen seconds, and then okay, have you ever asked you this question? Here's my card, and not bring in the topic. Well, we have so many patients. Blah 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 blah. That's not working. So, but this way is very promising. So to have a more long-term attention.
2: You know, I'll only add really quickly because that is a a great story. And I'll say it makes me think while there is a lot of differences between how the U.S. government operates and then obviously uh, governments all across Europe operate, there are also a lot of similarities too because that story, uh, interestingly enough, lines up very much with how things are handled here in Washington and as a little kind of tidbit, which I think this story has been proven untrue over the years, but it has carried a lot of weight for a long time and that is that the Willard Hotel here in downtown Washington, D.C., very old hotel, was always known as the hotel where lobbying got its name because the lobbyists would wait in the lobby of the hotel for members of Congress that come down or they leave the restaurant and they do that same type of elevator pitch in the lobby of the Willard Hotel. And that is something that I think carries so much weight. And it ties very much into how, you know, as I mentioned earlier, ways that we can help patients tell their story and ways that we can help them understand, OK, what are the key tidbits? Um, and if it's in the U.S., you know that a member of Congress is on a relevant committee or caucus or from a relevant state, but you can adjust your pitch or your story in such a way, not changing it in any way, of course, but highlighting pieces that might lead to their attention and then create that opportunity in the future, as Ahi mentioned. So I think that is, you know, there's a lot of through lines there, even if some of the the aspects behind the scenes are different there are opportunities with advocacy. And I think that underlines, again, why collaboration globally is so important.
0: So it's funny because, you know, you hear the phrase elevator pitch in sales and marketing as the ultimate thing to have to do. If you have 30 seconds in an elevator, what could you get done? But, Achim, two things. Number one is I've never heard the story told quite as uh, visually as you just told it. The idea of 700 legislators and 1,000 lobbyists uh, sounds to me more like a rugby scrum than it does a uh, an organized event, but that, that's pretty cool. And second, the idea that what you're describing isn't really pitching the issue. It's piquing the interest of the individual.
3: It is, yes. So because this is something, so you need to look at in a, in a bigger framework. So in health policy, normally you have tendencies of discussions. And one thing politicians hate is the story about, okay, if we do action now, we have savings in 10 years because these politicians are not reelected <laughs> five times again. So he wants to have solutions with in this period and therefore I think that the most promising part is really to focus on an outcome so where this politician can see okay my energy has been used in a wise way so the outcome I can use to be re-elected by telling the um, yeah my my people into my folk so what I've done I think that is one thing and this is one thing Andrew, I might I have a question to you things is that in Europe we I guess in, in, in general scientists like you, you generate a lot of evidence, but it's more on the scientific way. And so how this microbiome is working with this interaction and, but also what is the outcome of some interventions? And I think what is needed is an alignment to creating evidence from the patient side. And I think that is something that needs to be done very complementary. And therefore, I'm very happy that you join our project with our thousand patients to ask them about their attitudes toward nothingness, their knowledge, their social behavior around this, so to have it in a complementary style. So they have the scientific evidence, but also the patient evidence. And I guess the same tactic works in the US as well, right?
2: Yes, exactly. And I think you, you may have mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, but you know, we did an advocacy day a few weeks ago with the American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases here in the US, virtually on Capitol Hill. And the idea was, could we partner a patient with a clinician and then have the clinician provide the clinical data for legislators and then the patient to provide the lived experiences and to hit that side to kind of do those dual aspects that you're talking about. And I think that's where, you know, our organizations partnering and then working with EASL and ASLD and others as well is so critical to kind of show that groundswell movement. And then having all of our names there, all of our organizations with our own logos is valuable when you're dealing with legislators because it shows that it's not not a single voice or a single person making a point uh, a single organization so i think that is is great to hear
1: And now, back to Roger. We
0: hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. I am off to Barcelona for the Innovations in Affleck Care 2022 Conference. We'll be back next week with a wrap-up episode on this exciting inaugural conference. If you're listening Wednesday night, Thursday, or in Europe, India, and the Middle East Friday morning, you can still register for the virtual link to the Innovations Conference. That link appears on the Surfing Nash website. Until then... Stay safe, surf on, we'll see you next week, bye bye now.